Ephesians chapter 5, moving into some great stuff. The title of the message today is Walk in Love and Light. And how God wants us to walk in love and light, be an example of Him. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 14. Uh, Let's begin by reading chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore be imitators or followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit, or the fruit of the light, is all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, Whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, we pray that you would bring more light into our lives. That you would teach us how to be imitators of you. That we would walk in love and in light and with grace and mercy as you've shown us. And so, Lord, would you stir our hearts today and remind us of what you've done for us that we should do for others. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Walk in love. Walk in light. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be imitators of Christ. We're called to be Christ-like. You want people to look at you and see Jesus in you. You don't want them to see you. You want them to see Jesus. Are you glowing today for Jesus? Are you an example that people can look at and say, man, when I get around that person, I just feel like I was in the presence of God. God wants that pouring out of you. He wants people to walk away from a conversation from you and feel encouraged in the Lord. And so we're going to look at some things today that that can become a discouragement with certain people, the way we act, the way we talk, and the things that we say. Are they uplifting or are they tearing down? Do they build people up? Do they edify people? Or do they make people feel like they need to take a shower after they talk to you because it was just so dirty, the stuff that was coming out of your mouth? This is going to put us all in check today because every one of us needs to work on the way we talk, the things that we say. He's going to talk about foolish talking. He's going to talk about filthy talking. He's going to talk about coarse jesting. And we need to get those things under control. And we want to be like Jesus. So if you want to know what Jesus was like, you got to read the Bible. You've got to read the Bible. So he says, be imitators of Christ. Imitators of Christ. What we saw last week is he finished off with saying, 
in verse 32 of chapter 4, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgave you. Does that describe you? Are you kind-hearted? Are you tender-hearted? Do you show kindness to others? Do you have forgiveness? Nothing worse than when I see a Christian that has no forgiveness for others. Very judgmental. God tells us that we are to forgive. Well, you don't know what they did to me. It doesn't matter. Forgive it. You need to take that off of your shoulders and let it go. Yeah, but I've had it up to here with them. How many times do you think God's had it up to here with you? Oh, well, probably a lot. I hope he shows mercy. Then we need to show mercy too, right? Come on, we're human beings. If you go to church, you're going to get hurt. It happens. People hurt you. You're dealing with humans. This isn't a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And you're going to get hurt. And, and if you get hurt and you, you run away and you go to a different church, hello, you'll get hurt over there. It's just going to be a new face. Because you're dealing with humans. And so God gives us a whole list of things of how we should walk, how we should act, how we should forgive, how we should treat one another. And forgiveness is such a key. Because if I can't forgive, Matthew 6 says, neither will my Father forgive me. That's a scary verse. What does that mean? That, does that mean I lose my salvation? No, it doesn't mean I lose my salvation. It means that I break fellowship. I'm grieving the Spirit. I break fellowship with God. Because I'm unwilling to forgive. He's saying, listen, I, I can't hear your prayers. You need to get that thing right. You need to forgive. See, because when the world looks at us and we look just like the world, it's confusing to them. Why would they want Jesus? If we're not, if we, and this is the whole thing he's going to talk about today is like if we look just like the world, why would the world want the Jesus that you have? What makes the world desire what you have? So when we let our light so shine, and men see our good works, they'll glorify the Father in heaven and not us. They'll see a change in your life. Is your life transformed today? Is there something different about you? Do you love people? Are you encouraging? Or are you somebody that just beats people down? Are you, are you a sin sniffer? Church security. Always, you know, always finding fault with everybody. That's not the heart of God. There's people like that. They just look, they find fault, and they want to expose you and blow you up. That's not the heart of God. Our heart is to go to somebody who's fallen with love. Not finger-pointing, not being judgmental, not attacking them. You don't have to attack them. They already know. They're already under attack. You're to come alongside them and love on them and encourage them and say, listen, I see this is happening. Can I help? Can I be there for you? I want to pray for you. I love you. I care for you. I know that this, this could easily be me. And what we've got to keep in our heart is when you go after somebody because they've fallen, because they've made a mistake, or because they're in sin, here's how you need to go. Like Jesus. Full of grace and truth. And it was His love and kindness that led us to repentance. He didn't beat you up. He just came in love. So here's, here's, 
you go, if, if you have a brother or sister that falls, you go to them the same way you'd want somebody to go to you. So if you're going to go all harsh and everything, oh, it'll come back around. Do you want to be dealt with harshly, finger-pointed, beaten up? Or do you want to be dealt with love and encouragement? Somebody that will come alongside you and actually care for you and say, let me pray for you. You can do this, and I'm going to be there for you. That's our God. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does in our lives? I love you. I care for you. I'm going to intercede for you. I'm going to help you get through this by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's good stuff. So we're called to forgive like Jesus forgives. If we don't forgive others, well, you don't know what they did. It doesn't matter. You need to let go of that thing because it's tearing you up. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor His ear heavy, that He cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear you. You're a child of God, and you don't want to forgive. He says, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop listening. And maybe you're here today and you're holding something from years ago. And it doesn't feel like your walk's going, going any better. It just kind of feels stagnant. Maybe you've got to get that thing right. Because it says right here that it's our sins that hides His face from us. He's talking to believers. And that He cannot hear our prayers until we get that thing right. We need to go with love and grace. I make a lousy Holy Spirit. So do you. Let the Holy Spirit convict people. We come in love. An example of Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given Himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You're to be a sweet-smelling aroma when people get around you. You're, gonna, you're to be in a f refreshment a spiritual refreshment when people come. And you got people like that in your lives, right? They're such a joy to be around. And then you got those other people. It's like when you see them, you kind of want to run. Because they always seem to bring you down and they're negative. We are to be imitators of Christ. And with that imitation to Christ, we exercise love. Love. God is our standard. We, if... It, that's kind of a challenge for us, isn't it? I mean, if God is our standard and we're to be like Christ, wow, those are some big shoes to fill, aren't they? I mean, I'd rather compare myself to somebody else because then I can feel better about myself because I can always find somebody else that's doing worse than me and make myself feel better about my sin. But if we just always use Jesus only compare yourself to Jesus, then we're always striving for excellence because He's the greatest example of all. An example of love, an example of forgiveness, an example of grace and mercy and kindness and tenderheartedness, patience, long-suffering. We could just go on and on. Doesn't that describe our God? Does that describe you as imitators of Christ? I don't know about you. I'm a work in progress. This is going to hit all of us today. And he's going to put us into remembrance of some things. So in verse 3, he's going to remind them of what they once were. Look at verse 3. But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. 
So he says now, he reminds them, listen guys, this was once your lifestyle. It's not fitting for saints to be caught up in fornication, uncleanness, filthiness, covetousness. Covetousness is idolatry. It, it sends a mixed message to an unbelieving world. This is not fitting. And, and this, he's talking to these Ephesians because they all know what their past was like. We talked about Ephesus. Ephesus was like the headquarters in that time of that, that era, in that area of that region for sexual immorality. Now, we think we got it bad now. We're like, man, it is out of control, right? We think like that. I mean, look what's going on. I mean, we've got, you know, you've got adultery, you've got fornication, you've got homosexuality, lesbianism, you've got uh, transgenders, uh, drag queens, you've got bestiality, uh, pedophile. I mean, we're almost relieved when we hear somebody's just did good old, you know, red-blooded American fornication between a man and a woman because it's so bizarre today. But God says, I hate it all. And the word he's using there for fornication is a word that covers all those things. Anybody having any sex, any type, with anything outside of the marriage between a man and woman is forbidden. And Ephesus knew that more than anywhere else. And this isn't something new. It's like, like our culture is like the worst because, you know, I, I think back what was going on in Noah's day. Out of control. Only eight people knew God in the whole world. Can you imagine? And then you look at Rome, the Roman Empire. Most of the Nero's were homosexuals. And then you look at Ephesus, which was the hubbub. I mean, Ephesus was the city everybody wanted to be at. It was like the Vegas of that time. You'd come for, I mean, gambling and, and you know, partying and all the sexual immorality that you wanted. I mean, they had a temple to Diana, Artemis, which was like the hugest temple made for her in the world it was amazing it took over 200 years to build it was covered with marble every inch it was beautiful it was magnificent to look at and people would go in there and worship and to finish up their worship they would come out and finishing up their worship there would be the temple prostitutes there so they would either have a young boy or young girl to complete their worship so we're not as far gone as them are we I mean, can you imagine churches like that in America? And so this is what these Ephesians came out of. They were all doing this. And it's crazy. And there was such a transformation in their life that they started to burn their books that were, were, were of the occult and black magic. They were turning their lives around. This became the most prominent, solid church at that time. It was the example that everybody would look to. They were on fire for Jesus. And this whole letter here to, to the Ephesians is not a corrective epistle. It's, it's not like Paul's talking to the Corinthians. I mean, the Corinthians, he was just like cleaning house. I mean, he had a lot of stuff he had to do with them. But this whole letter to the Ephesians is just an encouragement to him. Remember what you once were. He's not correcting him. He's just saying, remember, because I don't want you to fall back into that. So that's why the letter to Ephesians is an encouragement to you, to me, because the first three chapters tells us what God has done for us. And when we understand what God has done for us, then we can realize that because of what he's done, that drives us to serve him and to do his will and to obey his commandments and to walk worthy of the calling by which we've been called. 
And so he says, walk worthy. He tells us, walk in love. He tells us to walk in light. He tells us to walk circumspectly. To be an example to all people. But he reminds us, just as Christians, we got to remember, we could easily fall back into the old me. In a heartbeat, right? All it takes is one bad day. And you're like, oh, man. And it's so easily how we can be returning back to the old self but he says listen we don't do that anymore and so he brings up he says you know fornication is not part of your life anymore be having sex with somebody that you're not married to that's what fornication means having sex with somebody that you're not married to and sex between a man and a woman only that's what fornication is god wants you to wait Till you're married. And a lot of us have made the mistake of not waiting. But God will forgive you. God loves you. If you repent today, God will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know, a lot of times I do premarital counseling. And when I do premarital counseling, I always ask, Have you had sex? <laughs> I do it in a loving manner. Have you had sex? Right? And, no, I do it in love. And I always look at the girl when I say that. Because I can tell. And if they have, and I appreciate them being honest with me, I just say, listen, God loves you. Repent right now. Let's make a vow. This isn't going to happen again until the marriage day. And God will see you as a chaste virgin. I mean, if Paul could present the Corinthians as a chaste virgin, we all can be presented as a chaste virgin, right? And I said, don't do that anymore. And so um, th those are good things. God says, get away from that stuff. And then he talks about uncleanness. What is uncleanness? It's everything outside of that. I mean, it's like when I do marriage counseling, and I say to somebody, have you got, I mean, I mean premarital counseling, and I say, have you had sex yet? And they say, no, we don't do intercourse. I get like a red flag. What? Oh, we don't do intercourse. I, what do you do? We do everything but. Stop it. God wants you to be pure. This is a gift that God gives you on the wedding day. And, and he wants you to abstain from those things. He talks about covetousness here. He puts it in the same line as fornication and uncleanness. And, and because, because sexual immorality can become your God. Anything that becomes more important to you than God is idolatry. It's, you've made that your God. It could be your job. It could be money. It could be power. It could be your spouse. It could be your children. Are your children more important to you than God? Are you willing to turn your children over to God? Your spouse over to God? Your life over to God? You need to let God rule your life because he tells us that fornication and uncleanness and covetousness shouldn't even be named among you. It's not fitting as of saints. And we as saints... What that means is that we are separated. Separated unto God. We are separated from this world. 
We are not of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And how can we be separated and be living in worldly sin as Christians? It doesn't make sense because it says in the end times that there's going to be a lot of people the Lord's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And he's going to say, he's going to say those that do these things are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. What is he saying? Those that make a lifestyle of practice like this, they're fooling themselves. They're not really children of God. He's not saying that you as Christians, we, we mess up, we make mistakes. That's, God understands that. But you wrestle with your sin. And because you wrestle with your sin, that's a pretty good sign that you're a born-again believer because if you didn't wrestle with your sin, I would, I would wonder if you're even saved. I think it was Spurgeon that said that dead men don't wrestle. The fact that you're wrestling and you're grieved over your sin is a pretty good sign that you have a new birth. Because if you didn't wrestle over it and you're all good with it, I would say, nah, you're probably not saved. He's warning believers, don't go back to these things. He's talking to believers. He's saying, you're you're not lost, you're not going to hell, but you're ruining your life. You're breaking fellowship. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. Get out of it. Don't go back to this. It didn't work then. It's not working now. What makes you think you're going to go back to Egypt and it's all going to be sugar and spice and everything nice? So he warns us. He's warning us today here. If you're dating someone, hold out. Wait till you're married. Don't let some guy push you into it. I hear it all the time. Oh, well, you don't really love me because you won't have sex with me. Well, if you really loved her, you would wait. If you're not going to wait, what you're telling me is that you really don't love her. You love yourself and you think she can help you with that. God... God tells us to wait, and the reason He tells us to wait, because guys, because the two become one. And I know that most of us in here, we've blown it. I blew it. My wife and I were living together before we got married. We were having kids. And then you think back on the relation, all the relationships before that, here's what happens. See, the Bible says that the two become one, right? When they come together, they get married under God. They waited. God gives them the gift of, of sex. It's an amazing gift that God gives. It's for just the man and woman who are married, and they come together, and they become one. So if you're not married and you're going from person to person, you're becoming one with all these different people. And look at it like this. If you took two pieces of wood and you glued them together with that super glue or that gorilla glue, whatever it is, they're stuck. And if you go to tear those two boards apart, what happens? Well, this board tears part of that board and brings it over with this. And this other board's bringing part of the wood from that board, this other one. And you're, so you're tearing off a piece of yourself with everybody you're joining yourself to. And you're wondering why your marriage is so messed up because you're comparing everybody that you've been with with your spouse. And there's so much, there's so much of a part of you everywhere. But if you go to God and you ask for forgiveness and to deliver you from that, He's faithful to give you a, a clear conscience, a clear mind over those things. But you need to understand that when you have sex outside of the marriage, you're joining yourself together and becoming one. And so God says, wait 
till you're married. That freaks people out. Wait till I'm married? Wonder if we don't do it right. Who cares? Neither one of you know how. Explore together. Talk to each other. Clarify. I mean, speak. I should probably just move on really quick right now. <laughs> Listen, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, He didn't make Eve the same way He made Adam. He made Adam from the dust of the, of the earth. He breathed into his nostrils the seven, the, the same elements, I mean, the same elements, I'm not sure how many there are, are there seven or eleven, the same elements that are in dirt is what makes up these bodies. So if somebody calls me a dirt bag, I'm kind of like, okay, the skin's kind of the bag. Yeah, I guess they're right. Because the same stuff that makes up my body makes up the soil. God made Adam out of the dust, breathed into his nostrils life. But Adam didn't have a spouse. He gives him an object lesson. He starts naming all the animals, right? Here's Mr. and Mrs. Tiger, Mr. and Mrs. Lion, Mr. and Mrs. Rhinoceros. And, there, and then he realized there's no Mrs. Adams for the Adams family. And so he said, he's looking around and God brings him Eve. What did he do? Put Adam in a deep sleep and took everything that Eve was, was in Adam, and he took that out of Adam and brought it into Eve. What's my point? She's everything that I'm not. Guys, listen, guys, we do not have a feminine side. That, that should clear up a lot for you, ladies. We do not have a feminine side. It was taken out of us in the garden. God removed that from Adam, put it in Eve, and Adam didn't have that anymore. She had that. That's so when the two became came together they became one it completed what God started it was an awesome thing I mean Adam woke up out of his sleep different those things were taken out of him he woke up he was like whoa mm, what did you do to me I feel like conquering things I feel like building I feel like I feel like I feel that's it I don't have any feelings at all Where did those go? Oh, you gave them to her. You see what I'm talking about? That's why God says that when you find that person, when you wait, when you do what God wants you to do, He brings you back into harmony. That's why your wife is so different from you. You say go, she says stop. You say light, she says dark. And you say, gosh, she's always opposite. It's because you guys complete each other. So he says, don't go back to fornication. Don't go back to uncleanness. Stay away from idolatry. God has delivered you from those things. They're not fitting of saints. And then he goes into our language. He says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And so now he talks to us about our speech. And that's important to talk to us about our speech, right? It's probably one of the things that God's still working on us. Amen? Okay, just want to make sure we're all on the same page. So he talks about filthiness. What is filthiness? It's dirty jokes. It's dirty jokes. God doesn't want the dirty jokes. It, it's not fitting for a Christian to stand around telling dirty jokes. And then he talks about foolish talking. That's, that's stupid talking. Stupid words. Things that don't, that don't build up people. 
It doesn't make people feel like they just got encouraged in, in, in the Lord. What's stupid talk? How about swearing? Cursing? God doesn't want that. How many Christians curse? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. But how many Christians curse? Oh, you don't do it in here because you have respect. This is God's house. But did you think you left Jesus here when you went out the door and got cut off in traffic and called that person whatever you called them? You know, I know a lot of Christians have been saved for a long time. They're still cursing. I'm like, dude, you need to get that taken care of. You need, well, it's just a word. Choose a different one. Or how, how about, how do you feel when someone uses the Lord's name in vain? I cringe. You hear these people asking God to damn this and damn that, and you're just like, oh my gosh. And when I hear somebody yell out Jesus Christ in a negative way, I, I just like want to move away. I'm, I'm thinking a bolt of lightning's coming. You know what I mean? It's just God doesn't want that, and Christians will do that. It's crazy. When I get around somebody that uses Jesus Christ in a negative way, every time they shout that out, I would just say, He's my Lord and Savior. They say, Jesus Christ. I say, he's my Lord and Savior. I'm like, why do you say that? I don't know. Why do you say what you say? I mean, where, where, did it, where was it written down that when you hurt yourself, you name out Jesus Christ? That's demonic. That you would use his name in a, in a negative way. I mean, why does that happen? Why did his name get put on when something horrible happens to you that you, you scream that out? Why, don't, why doesn't somebody hit their thumb with a hammer and go, oh, Buddha or Pelosi? You know, I mean, right? I mean, why don't they do that? Why is it Jesus? Because there's, there's a demonic power behind it that's trying to get you to blaspheme the name of Christ. So God wants us to deal with that. Of course, jesting. Your Bible might just say jesting. It's not just jesting. It's coarse jesting. So the idea is if jesting, here's the thing with jesting. Jesting's okay. I mean, it's okay to have fun and to talk and to joke around with people. If it wasn't, then we'd have to throw Mitch out. It's, it, he's not talking about jesting, being, you know, being lighthearted and joking around with you. Because you know what? I like hanging out with the younger guys because they're fun. They're funny. But he's talking about coarse jesting. Coarse jesting is where um, you, you kind of imply something. You, it, there's a little innuendo there. There's a little, little something on there. You're not really saying it, but you're kind of implying it. It, it could be like where um, somebody actually says something that's, that's fine. It's perfectly fine. But then you got that one person to always throw something on after they say it to make it not fine. You, you know what I'm saying? You don't know what I'm saying? It's, it's like somebody will say something totally fine, and then when they finish, somebody will go, that's what she said. That's coarse jesting. God says you shouldn't be doing that. You know what? I think we all have been guilty of that, kind of joking around or laughing at it. Maybe you don't tell dirty jokes anymore, but when you hear one, you kind of go, oh, ooh, that's not good. Right? And here's the crazy thing. Dirty jokes will stick in your head forever. Right? I mean, you can't remember where that verse is in the Bible, but you remember a joke from 30 years ago that plagues you and pops up at the weirdest times. Some dirty thing in your mind, right? Right during worship. You're praising praise the Lord, hallelujah. Bam! You're like, whoa, where did that come from? Right? 
And it's like you could be at a prayer meeting filled with the Spirit, and, and you're just all of a sudden, bang, and this thing goes in your head, and you go, whoa, Lord, that was like 10 years ago. I can't believe, man, you're still fighting with those things. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, my gosh, you guys are a bunch of liars. You're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. That didn't happen to me. You got a problem, Pastor. That's why we're called to take our thoughts captive. See, because if, if the enemy can affect you outwardly, physically, with your actions, he's going after your heart. He's going after your mind. He's trying, to, he's trying to get you to trip up. And that temptation is not a sin. It's only when you birth, you birth that temptation, you entertain it, and you bring it forth that it brings forth death. But we are to take our thoughts captive. And so then he goes on into verse 5, and he says this. He says, well, actually, before we go to verse 5, I, I just want to remind us, after he talks to us about filthiness and foolish talking and coarse jesting, he says they're not fitting. They're not fitting, but rather giving thanks. So what, he, what, what is he saying? He says, get away from the fornication, get away from all this other stuff, get away from the filthiness, the dirty language, the cursing, taking the Lord's name, and, and give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord that you're not in fornication anymore. Give thanks to the Lord that you're not committing adultery. Give thanks to the Lord that you're not acting unclean. Give thanks to the Lord that you are talking in an edifying and building up way. And then he says there, for you know that no fornicator or unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So there's a strong warning right there. What's the warning? He says, listen, if you're going to live in a lifestyle like this, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, gee, Steve, I thought you said you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's not up to you. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by faith. But that saving faith is, it brings forth a transformed life. If your life isn't transformed, you've got to ask yourself, am I even saved? So when I see somebody who's living in full-on sin and they're claiming to be a Christian, I don't see a transformed life. They're fooling themselves, and there'll be many people that stand before God in that day and say, uh, the Lord will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they'll say, but Lord, we went to church, we did this in your name, because I don't know you. Just because you sit in this church doesn't mean you're saved. And if your life, you're living a lifestyle of sin, then God is telling you, you're not really mine. And you need to get born again. He's not saying to a Christian that messes up and falls into adultery or fornication. He's not talking to that person. He's talking to the ones that have made this a lifestyle and they're deceiving themselves thinking that they're saved. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the light is all goodness, righteousness, and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So isn't it interesting it doesn't say you were once in darkness? He says you were once darkness. You were dark. You were dark. We were. I was. You were. We, we lived for sin. And that darkness caused us to sin and to sin even more. And we, some of us really loved sinning. When the world said do that, we said how many times? When the word said, world said, go over there, how long should I stay? 
And we were obedient to that darkness, but now we are no longer in the darkness. We've been brought out of darkness into the light. You are the light of God now. You are the light. He said, I am the light of the world, but then he tells us that we are the light. We're going to be a reflection of him. Isn't that awesome? Look at it like this. You've got the earth. You've got the sun. The sun and the moon will endure forever. The earth's going to pass away. The sun is a picture of Jesus Christ. You are a picture of the moon. We are set apart from the earth. Though we're of this world, we're not in this world. And we are a reflection of Him. The moon doesn't have any light of itself. It's a mere reflection of God. But when does the moon not reflect the light of God? When the earth gets between... When the world gets between the moon and the sun, it causes an eclipse and there's no light. And just like you, when the world gets between you and God, it causes an eclipse in your life. Don't go back to darkness. That's his message to the people here. Don't go back to darkness. You are children of light. And the Holy Spirit is the power, the light that lights you up. And gives you the strength to overcome those things and not to return to those things. Will you be tempted all your life? Absolutely. But you're not going to give in, are you? Because Jesus has broken the power of sin in your life and the Holy Spirit gives you the strength to overcome. And then he says this. He goes, um, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. What does that mean? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, I'll tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying you can't hang out with unbelievers. I mean, that's our ministry, right? That's where we're supposed to go out and minister. We're to love on people. I know some of you got saved and you lost some of your friends, but you're still, you're still friendly, but you don't hang out with each other anymore. Why? Because they're doing stuff that you don't do anymore. It doesn't work. So he's not saying stop hanging out with those guys. He says stop fellowshipping with the unfruitful works of darkness. That's what he's talking about there. What does that mean? That means there's, there's nothing wrong with fellowshipping with your friends, but when they start to do unfruitful works, that's when you say, I got to go. And a lot of times you'll get, oh, well, you're, all, you're too good for me now. You got Jesus. You know, you just say, no, I'm not too good for you. I love you and I care for you, but I can't be around this. I'm weak and as much as I love you I got to get out of here because I'm, I'm too weak I don't want to be I don't want I don't want to be tempted that's that's and that's exposing them with love to say listen I, I gotta go this stuff's ruining your life bro I love you I can't be around it because it ruined my life I found Jesus I don't want to hurt God I gotta go but I love you that's how you deal with it see because here's what's going to happen when something really he heavy happens in their life who are they going to call? They're going to call you. They're not going to call their worldly friends. Hey, yeah, my mom, she's in emergency. Can you, like, throw up a prayer to the big guy for me? Right? Open door. Open door. And then he says there in verse 12, For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever makes manifest is light. So Jesus is light. Jesus brings forth a light that reveals darkness. 
darkness is exposed by light. You, when you come into the presence of somebody else, you are you are bringing light. It exposes them to the light, and people change when they're around you. Your old friends they act different when they're around you, right? I mean, it's like you know, you you know, you, the, your old friends are telling a dirty joke, and you walk out. Oh, okay, I'll talk to you later. Steve's coming. Why? Because light exposes darkness. It's like when you get up in the middle of the night, right, and you go to get a glass of water out of the kitchen or a snack or something like that, right? You go in, you turn on the light, what happens? All the cockroaches scatter, right? And we got some flyers. We got some big ones, right? What happens? You turn on that light, light exposes darkness. They all go, ah, light, ah, where's the darkness, darkness? And they scatter, they got to get back into the darkness. Why do you think the bars and the nightclubs are dark? Because people feel more comfortable when they're out of control. When the lights are dim, everybody looks better. They can't see how hammered you really are. That's why at 2 o'clock, in my old days, when we did nightclubs, they shut everything down at 2 o'clock. You know how they got everybody out of there? They turned on all the house lights, the floodlights, and everybody just went, oh, wow, <laughs> I didn't know I was with you, and, you know... <laughs> Because light exposes darkness. And when you turn on the light, darkness goes, ah, where's the darkness? Ah, I got to hide. You know, when I go to Foodland, my kids, they don't, they stop going with me. Because they said I, 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 I talk too much. And there was an old rule that they used to have that if I, if I started talking to people at the grocery store, they could, they could just keep putting stuff in the cart. And he had to buy it, right? Because, you know, like going to Foodland for me was like an hour and a half thing just to grab two things, right? Because you meet people and, and because they know you're with the Lord, they want to talk to you about the Lord or they need some prayer or they're going through things. And I'd be praying over by the deli area, you know, and then laying hands on someone on aisle five and doing an altar call in the produce. You know, anybody that wants to get born again, come by the, you know, the potatoes and onions. We're giving an altar call. We'll baptize you by the spinach, spray you down, you know. I mean, you know, my kids are just like, ain't going with you. But here's the funny thing is sometimes I would come into the grocery store and I'd have my cart and I'd, I'd turn down another aisle and I'd see somebody at the, end of the other end of the aisle from church and I'd go, hey, how you doing? And they'd go, hey, how you doing? And all of a sudden they'd go, ah, darkness in my cart! And they'd go to the next aisle. And I'm like, well, you, you shouldn't be worried about me. You should be concerned what God thinks. Now, if you don't have a problem with drinking, why are you dodging to the next aisle to flee from me? Right? The Bible says, don't be drunk. So, if you don't have a problem, you, 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 you shouldn't be all weirded out. If you have a bottle of wine in your cart or a six-pack and you walk up on me, I'm the last person that you need to worry about. That's between you and God. Right? Amen? It's funny because when I go to the store and I talk to people, they, they don't even look at me. They're just looking in my cart. <laughs> and Teddy, Teddy will actually come in and move stuff around in my cart. Oh, oh what's with all these pizza boxes? What's under there? <laughs> we make a lousy Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes a great Holy Spirit. Amen? 
You affect people when you come into the area because you got so much Jesus in you, right? Hey, turn off the light. We're drinking over here. I can't help it. I'm just glowing. You make a difference when you're around people. When I went back home to California years ago to where we, we used to live there at State Park, I, I ran into all the local boys that we used to all surf that spot together, and they were down at the beach, and, and I'd been gone for a long time, and, and uh, they were like, they were, they were you know, talking to me, and it was funny because it was just like being back there years ago. Same guys surfing the same spot, talking the same way, you know, F-bombs, all kinds of stuff coming out of their mouth, and, you know, dirty jokes, and then, a, you know, girls would walk by, they, they'd say some comment, and I'm just like, oh, oh, my gosh, these are the guys I hung out with, all right, great, you know, and then they're going on, and then one of them looks at me, and he goes, so, you know, how's Kawhi? I go, it's doing great. They go, you still making surfboards? Oh, yeah, I'm making surfboards, still shaping, and they're going, is that all you do? And I go, no, I'm a pastor, and they just go, no more swearing, no more dirty jokes. Matter of fact, some of them were even telling me, hey, you know what? I'm born again. I'm a Christian too. One guy even said he was serving in the church. And I was like, oh, couldn't tell. But there should be something different about you that people see. You have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the light. And the light reveals darkness. You know, I see more darkness in my life than I did the day I got saved. Does that make sense? Because I didn't realize how much darkness was in me the day I got saved. Now I realize it. And the, here's the thing. The closer I get to Jesus, the ultimate light, the closer I get to Him through reading and prayer, the more I see all my flaws and how much more I needed to work on it. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can conquer darkness. You can't conquer darkness in your flesh. Why are you trying to do it on your own? It doesn't work. Can you beat darkness away in your own power? <laughs> Try it. Take a baseball bat at night, go into one of your rooms, shut the door that's totally dark, and try to beat darkness away with that bat. All you'll end up doing is destroying your room. And you won't get anywhere. It'll still be there. But there's this little switch on the wall that if you just go over and flick it, light comes on and darkness flees. If you're trying to fight the darkness in your life on your own, you're really messing it, messing it up. There's a person called the Holy Spirit that you can go to, and he'll just flip that light on, and darkness will flee. Verse 14, he says, Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Let the Holy Spirit light up your life. Amen? Father, thank you um, for the reminder. I can't do anything in my own power, but I can do all things through Christ. And Lord, would you just anoint us right now afresh as we're about to leave this building and go out into the mission field, Lord God, that we would be imitators of you, full of love, grace, understanding, mercy, caring for others, bringing the love of God to them, Lord God. Fill us afresh to overflowing, to go out and face the things of this world and to be ambassadors for You. Lord, we're asking for more of You right now. And so, Lord, we are so grateful that You use us and we look forward to what You're going to do. But until You come, 
We want to be about your business. And so, Lord, we just submit ourselves to you and ask for more of you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.